The title of tonight's lesson is Doing the Right Thing. Doing the Right Thing. You know, there's a lot of famous people that have come up with a pile of really good quotes regarding doing the right thing. Coach, author, and analyst Lou Holtz once said, I follow three rules. Do the right thing, do the best you can, and always show people you care. Basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, I try to do the right thing at the right time. They may just be little things, but usually they make the difference between winning and losing. Former British Prime Minister David Cameron said this, he said, I believe that in life you have to give things your best shot. Do your best. You have to focus on what needs to be done and do the right thing, not the popular thing. Author Tracy Kidder said, You do the right thing even if it makes you feel bad. The purpose of life is not to be happy, but to be worthy of happiness. The late American businessman W. Clement Stone said, Have the courage to say no. Have the courage to face the truth. Do the right thing because it is right. American businessman Rex Tillerson said, Your personal integrity, this is so important, Your personal integrity, once established and earned, people don't have to think about it. They know. They know you. They know you'll do the right thing every time. And finally, from Martin Luther King Jr., the one that I kind of giggled at when I read it, it said, he said, that old law about an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. <laughs> the time is always right to do the right thing. But you know, far more importantly for us, the scriptures... God tells us a lot about doing the right thing. Let me give you just some quick verses or portions of verses. In Psalm 145, in verse 17, it says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Psalm 33, in verse 4, says, The word of the Lord is right. And all of his work is done in truth. Psalm 11.7 says the Lord is righteous. Now listen to this. The Lord is righteous. We just proved that from Psalm 145.17 and Psalm 33.4. Psalm 11.7. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. What does that mean? That means that because God is righteous and God always does the right thing and his word is truth, he beholds those who do the right thing. He respects those who do the right thing. Again, Psalm 11 and verse 7. Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2 and verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. John also told us in 1 John 3, 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. 
What's God telling us? Do the right thing if you're following God, because God always does the right thing. And finally, Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 18, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. Do things go better for us when we do the right thing? Even if it's difficult to do the right thing at the time, God sees it, God blesses it, and it goes better for us. Open your Bibles tonight to the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy, if you would please. Deuteronomy chapter 13. As we know, doing the right thing is often difficult and requires much effort and sacrifice at the time. If we were to read all of Deuteronomy 13, we would see this. Now, we're not going to read it all, but for those of you who are familiar with it, let's at least set the groundwork before we get to the portion we are going to read. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, it begins there by saying, God has a test for you. Verse 3. And this test will test whether or not you love the Lord with all your heart and soul. Well, how do you know, how is that test Formed. Well, when somebody comes up and says, hey, we got to do different than God told us, then that is a test. Will you do the right thing? Because in verse 5, it talks about those who want to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. When God tells us to do something, there's a test in front of us. Are we going to do it God's way? Are we going to do it the right way? Or are we going to be enticed to go and do it the wrong way? Because down through the verse here and tells us how to deal with that situation. And then it comes to verse 12. And the only reason I'm not reading the whole thing is because of time. But this chapter is really good on this. But verse 12. If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in saying... Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock, with the edge of the sword. Does that sound like an easy thing to do? No. But these people have enticed you to do something other than what God commanded you to do. And God has no patience for that. And so God says you've got to do the right thing even if it's difficult. And you shall gather all its plunder, verse 16, into the middle of the street, completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It will not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. God said, don't have anything to do with that that you know isn't right. Wash your hands of it. Get rid of it. But, and, and when you do, God, it says, will bless you, have compassion on you, multiply you as he swore to your fathers, because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God, to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, watch this, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Tonight, I want to share with you several biblical truths regarding doing the right thing. First off, number one, how can you tell when you are faced with two options, which thing is the right thing? How do you identify 
that thing which is the right thing. I'm going to share with you two surefire ways to know when you're faced with two options, which one is the right thing. Number one, the right thing to do, the right way is always and forever exactly what God's Word says. Period. The right thing to do is what God told you to do. The Bible says in Psalm 19 verses 7 through 9, listen to this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Well, if they're right and I want to do the right thing, then I'm going to do the biblical thing. I'm going to do it God's way because God is righteous. His statutes, Psalm 19, 7 through 9, are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Everything God said is right. So if you want to do the right thing, do what God said. That's one way you can recognize what is right and wrong. A second way that you can tell when you're faced with two choices, which one is the right one. This one's less scriptural, or so it would appear at first, but we'll clear that up in a minute. Second way you can tell which is the right way. The right thing to do is almost always and without exception the most difficult to do. Not always, but the vast majority of the time the right thing to do is the hardest thing to do out of those two choices. Let me give you a couple of examples. When Jesus was on the way to, when Jesus was arrested that night, and he was on the way to his crucifixion, or to be, uh, to be brought in before Pilate and all that, he said, do you not realize that I could call 12 legions of angels? Would it have been right for him to call those 12 legions of angels and escape the cross? Would that have been right? No, that wouldn't have been in line with God's will. God's will was that Jesus went to the cross for us. Is that right? Which would have been easier to say, hey, I need help. Stop this right here. Or to go through everything he went through to the cross. Which would have been easier? The wrong choice would have been the easy way out. No cross, no spitting on, no scourging. None of that stuff. The easy way would have been the wrong way. The right way, God's way, the way that, that it should have been done, was the hardest way. Wasn't the cross the hardest option of those two? The right way is typically the hardest way. We don't like that one maybe, but it's so often true. If it isn't the most difficult option, it's probably the least righteous one. <laughs> I would offer as biblical proof Matthew 7, 13 and 14, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Right there in that passage, we see two options. One of them's not falling off. We see two options. One of them is the wide and easy way. Is that the right way? No, that's the wrong way. That's the easy way. That's the easy option. The Bible says, difficult is the narrow way, but is the narrow way the right way? Usually that's the way it works. Usually the right way is the hardest of the options. Secondly, 
doing the right thing, another observation, doing the right thing is always a choice that one must make despite the temptation to do otherwise. Was Jesus tempted to get out of the cross? Three times in the garden, he was tempted to get out of the cross. But doing the right thing is a choice one must make despite the temptation to do otherwise. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. And we will take a quick look at this one. Genesis 4. Beginning in verse 3. Doing the right thing is a choice one must make despite the temptation to do otherwise. Genesis 4 verse 3, And it came, in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? Watch this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. He had a choice to make. God said, there's a right way and there's a wrong way here. Now you got to understand, Cain, sin is waiting right there at the door. It's ready, but you've got to rule over it. You've got to make the right choice. You've got to do the right thing. Did Cain do the right thing? No. He made the wrong choice, but it was still a choice. We would see in James chapter 1 that anger limits our ability to do the right thing. James chapter 1, please turn there. Doing the right thing is always a choice we must make despite the temptation to do otherwise. In James 1, verses 12 and following, it talks about how this battle goes on in the mind and how sin starts and all that. And then it says in James 1, 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes anger blinds us to doing the right thing. Our emotions take over and control us. This is what happened with Moses. Remember, Moses was upset with the people and God told him the second time. He told him what to do to the rock. And remember when Moses disobeyed? Moses was angry at the people. It clouded his judgment. We have to still make the right choice despite the temptation to be angry. Thirdly, doing the right thing is something that will sometimes cause you to have to stand alone. We've got two young men graduating this year. It's not just them, it's for all of us, but they need to understand as well Sometimes doing the right thing will cause you to have to stand alone. Not saying this for those two young men, or I'm about to say this is for all of us in general. Taking that another step, sometimes doing the right thing means that we will have to stand against the members of our own family. Sometimes doing the right thing means we will even have to stand against other members of the very family of God. In reference to our own family, 
doing the right thing may cause us to have to stand alone sometimes against them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew the 10th chapter. Beginning at verse 32, Jesus says this. Matthew 10, verses 32 through 37, read as follows. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What's Jesus saying? Sometimes doing the right thing means you've got to stand against your own family members. Sometimes, maybe your adopted family members. Moses did that. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27? He gave up being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up all of that and, and certainly went against what Pharaoh obviously would have wanted for him and Pharaoh's daughter and all of that. If we were to turn, and I would ask you to turn to 1 Peter, let me give you one more example. It's not just necessarily family, but it can be any acquaintances. Doing the right thing means you may have to stand against friends, co-workers, classmates. Stand alone in some cases. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we course know verses 18 through 22, talk about the essentiality of baptism. Baptism now saves you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22 particularly verse 21. Now sometimes, if you come from a non-church background like me, or you come from a denominational church background, where a lot of family members have believed in something other than baptism at the as the point at which one is saved, when you obey the gospel, they may not think too highly of it. When you obey the gospel and you stand alone and you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins despite family members, despite previous beliefs, despite previous generations of other beliefs, Sometimes you have to stand alone. In fact, he goes on right there in chapter 4 to say this. 1 Peter 3 and verse 4. And remember, the chapter divisions were not in here when this was originally written. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Once you make that decision and you are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you become a Christian, you rise to walk in newness of life. You don't live like you used to. You don't walk like you used to. You don't do what you used to. But, but what happens, whether it's friends or family members or co-workers or classmates or acquaintances, what happens when you start walking different? Are you weird? What happened to you? You used to go party with us or you used to do this or you used to do that. Look what he says in the next few verses. Verse 3, we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, 
drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. When you start living different, when you start living in accordance with the truth of God's word, when you start doing what's right in the eyes of God, even though you haven't been living that way, people are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're nuts. People are going to make fun of you. They're going to speak evil of you. That's what he says in verse 4. You change your behavior and you don't run into the same things that you were running with and into before. They're going to speak evil of you. But, verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You may have to stand alone, though, in doing the right thing. Matter of fact, he goes on. In verses 12 and following to say this of that same chapter, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, if people reproach you, if they revile you, if they are disgusted with you for doing the right thing, for doing what a Christian ought to do for the name of Christ. If they reproach you for that, whether they're a Christian or they're not, if they reproach you or revile you for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Do you see that? That's what it says in verse 14. For the Spirit of God, Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their party is blasphemed, but on your party is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anybody suffers as a Christian, if you suffer for doing the right thing, if you suffer for being Christ-like, if you suffer because you're going to stay obedient to God no matter what, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Just glorify God no matter. How do we glorify God? We glorify God by doing God's will. Uh, uh, John chapter 17, first four or five verses, Jesus says there in his prayer that he has glorified God. He has finished the work that God gave him to do. That's how we glorify God. Don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian for doing the right thing. But glorify God in the matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel? Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to the faithful creator. If you're doing the right thing and you're suffering for it, keep on doing the right thing. That's what the scripture says. Sometimes, sadly, doing the right thing is something that will cause you to have to stand alone, sometimes even against members of the very family of God who have chosen to be unfaithful or disobedient to the Word of God. Let me give you all kinds of examples really quickly. We talked last week about Moses in Exodus 32. God's people had made this golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain. And when Moses comes down off the mountain, here's these people. And they've done the wrong. They're God's people, but they're acting like pagans. They're not obeying God. They're not doing God's will. So Moses comes down off the mountain. He gets rid of the calf. And then he calls out and he says, all of those who are on the Lord's side, sometimes you have to choose sides. All of those who are on the Lord's side, Exodus 32, verse 26, come to me. The Levites come to him, and they go through the camp, killing their brothers. And all of that, 3,000 people fell by the sword. That, you remember that story? 
It's not easy to do the right thing. It's not easy to stand against the people of God who have been unfaithful or disobedient, but sometimes it has to be done. Remember Joshua and Caleb? Numbers 13, remember the 12 spies sent into the promised land? Joshua and Caleb come back. They stood against 10 of their own peers. They had to stand and do, they had a choice. They could go along with the crowd. They could say the wrong thing, not trust God, not do it the right way. Or they could stand out from the crowd, even if God's own people go against God's own people who didn't want to do it right, and stand up and do the right thing. What did they do? They did the right thing. Did God reward Joshua and Caleb for that? Did he? That had to have been tough at the time. You got 12 men in a men's meeting. Take two of you to stand up against the rest of the crowd. That's, that'd be tough. But they did the right thing. Remember, decades of time didn't alter or change Joshua one iota. Do you remember Joshua is a young man? Yeah, he and Caleb stood against him. And then decades later, at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, he said, If you people want to serve the gods that your father served beyond the river or whatever, that's up to you. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. You people do what you want to do, but my house is, we're making the right choice. You make your own. That was Joshua's message. Turn to me in the New Testament, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. I want to show you something here. Sometimes doing the right thing requires standing alone, even against God's people. It's not something you do lightly or arbitrarily, but right is right. God's way is God's way. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Church here was having some problems. I want you to watch very carefully what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 17. Paul says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part... I believe it. Now stop right there. Stop. Look at me. Don't look at your Bibles. Don't read ahead. We'll get there in a minute. Look at me. Thank you. God wants us as a church to have unity. Is that right? That's what God wants, right? God wants no division. 1 Corinthians 1.10. He's already told him that, right? However, there is an exception to that. God makes it real clear there's an exception to that. And he tells you what it is in the next verse. There is one exception to that rule. The one time that division should, and the scriptures say the one time when division must occur, and it does so with God's blessing. Verse 19. For there must. When the Bible says must, does that leave you any other options? Does it? When the Bible says you must be born again, can you get into heaven without it? No. No other options. Must. For there must also be factions, the word means divisions, among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When the church is not doing things right, he says there must be divisions amongst you so that those of you who are doing it right will be recognized as doing it different than those who are not. You say, well, that's just one verse. Well, first off, how many times does God have to say something for it to be right? Secondly, 
Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The church is there. Five of those churches had problems going on. You remember what God told them? There were certain ones in this particular congregation who had not soiled their garments. They were separate. They were different. Just like we're talking about here. There are times that division must occur. And it must occur and have God's blessing. And that is when the church is not doing what they ought to be doing. And fourthly and finally, and here's the beautiful part I've been waiting to get to. Here's the good news. Doing the right thing never, ever goes unnoticed or unrewarded by Almighty God. Doing the right thing never goes unnoticed or unrewarded by Almighty God, no matter how great or small the service or sacrifice was at the time. Matthew 10 and verse 42 says, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Even the smallest, tiniest, most insignificant sacrifice on behalf of doing the right thing God doesn't miss it. Say, well, I did that behind the scenes. Let's see you do it behind the scenes where God can't see it. Can't be done. And that's the point of that text. Speaking of God's rewarding of those who do the right thing, there is no better example than the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Philippians 2, would you please? Philippians chapter 2. Let's talk about doing the right thing no matter how difficult and the fact that such never goes unrewarded by God when we are tested. If we do the right thing, God's thing. Philippians 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Did Jesus have to go through that pretty much alone? Didn't he? I mean, there are a few there watching, but I mean, I didn't see anybody jumping up and down and defending him at the cross. Did you? We had the one thief there who kind of changed his mind and all of that. But we don't see this huge crowd defending Jesus' actions. We see his own disciples running. Jesus had to stand alone. But he did the right thing. He stood alone. He did it right. It hurt. I can't imagine the pain. He took the tough way, but he took the right way. It was not easy at the time. He cried out with loud cries and tears, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He did the right thing, even though it cost him everything. Let me ask you a question. Did God reward him? Did God take care of it? Look at this passage. Verse 8 of Philippians 2, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, for that very reason, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. God rewards doing the right thing, no matter how tough or unfair the right thing might seem at the time. God rewards it. Those who always choose to seek to follow in the master's footsteps and do the right thing, 
No matter what it costs them personally, no matter what the crowd does cumulatively, or no matter what the consequences are immediately, those people can always rest assured of God greatly rewarding their doing the right thing. Psalm 19 verse 11 and Proverbs 11:18. I want to close out tonight with about four different references. Please turn in your Bibles with me. Matthew 5. God always rewards doing the right thing, no matter how difficult it is at the time. Matthew 5. Let's take a look real quick at verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great, here it comes, is your, here's the word, reward in heaven. Can you count on that? If you are reviled for the, because you're doing things God's way, can you count on it being rewarded? According to that verse you can. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Doing the right thing for the right reason even if no one else does. Because the reward is more than worth it. Look in Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16 beginning at verse 24 reads as follows. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angel, and he will reward each according to his works. Doing the right thing for the right reason, even if no one else does, is worth it because the reward is worth it all. Colossians chapter 3. Please turn there. And if you've ever been persecuted for doing the right thing, soak these passages up. Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Serve God first. Do God's will. Do the right thing. And don't worry about everything else. And God, it says, will reward you because you're serving Jesus Christ. And finally, from the book of Revelation, chapter 11. Revelation, chapter 11, verses 16 through 18. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. 
and that you should reward your servants and pro the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great. Don't you want to be in that number? God's time is coming when he will reward his servants, the prophets and the saints and all those who fear his name enough, small and great, to do the right thing, to do what God said to do. Revelation 22 says this, beginning at verse 12. Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus says, as we end tonight's lesson, And behold, Revelation 22, 12, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. Jesus is going to reward those who've done his will. Even if they had to stand alone. Even if they had to stand alone against everybody they knew. Even if they had to stand alone against their family or their friends or the church family. Whatever it was. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. The right thing to do is whatever God said to do. And I realize that some of us sometimes wind up feeling like we're kind of standing alone. But that's okay. What did Paul say? He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me. What did Jesus say? He said, they were all going to leave. But he said, my father's with me. You know, if you're here tonight and you have never obeyed the gospel, you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to do that. That means that it may mean, I don't know, it may mean that you have to stand alone at school or it may mean that you have to stand alone with family or co- it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Because sometimes you just got to do the right thing, if, even if you're the only one doing it. You got to do the right thing. Do the right thing for the right reason right now, no matter the earthly or temporary cost or consequences, because the eternal reward is infinitely more than worth it. If you would be baptized tonight into Christ, or if you're somebody here who needs the prayers of the church because you've been struggling with something, if there's any way that we can help you to be strengthened, and I hope and I pray that this, this sermon has done that. If you have a need tonight, we come to the front as we stand and as we sing.